This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. It's October the 16th, 2023. Nice crisp morning, 42 degrees here in the mountains this morning. Um, Breaking news. We don't usually have breaking news, but... uh, It was just announced that the Miami Marlins and their general manager, Kim Ang, have uh, agreed to part ways, uh, essentially meaning that uh, she was fired. And she, I don't, I I, I don't understand this move. Um, To put aside the fact that she was the first uh, woman general manager in Major League Baseball history to take a team to the playoffs, but she did it with a limited budget. Think about that. You know, <laughs> competing in the um, the National League East with the New York Mets that had a payroll of $360 million, and the, the Marlins finished ahead of them, folks. And they made the playoffs. Yeah, they got bounced. They got you know swept in the in the wild card round, but they made the playoffs with no money. This makes zero sense to me. Um, so she's going to be looking for a job now. The Red Sox are still looking for a head of baseball operations, and I'm not saying that she's necessarily the answer or the direction that you want to go. Um, however. It might be nice to see what she does given a uh, a budget. And if you're the Red Sox and you really want to shake things up, why not? Um, look, um, for her with with the mess that things were with Heimblum, and I know, look, I know Heimblum did some some. Decent things. I'm not saying that that he was a complete train wreck. You know, the 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 farm system is in much better shape than before he got here. But his uh, methods for evaluating major league talent and bringing you know talent to the Red Sox organization sorely lacking. You know, the the bargain basement bin stuff doesn't work in Boston. And I, you know, and with the exception of a couple of guys, every guy he tried to pick up off the scrap heap was a abject failure in Boston. So why not? What the hell? Uh, now the other team that's going to be looking for a general manager, the New York Mets, with uh, uh, their general manager just resigning, Billy Epler. 
They have a new uh, head of baseball operations, and Epler said he wanted to do it to give him a clean slate. Yeah, well, come to find out there's some other uh, investigations going on with Major League Baseball with the way they manipulated the uh, uh, the injured list, et cetera. So maybe that was part of it as well. But uh, I think Kemang is not going to be – uh, lacking for suitors, at least in the very beginning. The Red Sox and Mets m- might both be lining up at least to interview her. You know, and there's been a perception that Boston all of a sudden is not necessarily a desirable place to be if you are a somebody who wants to be the head of baseball operations because of the amount of turnover they've had, you know, in the last decade. You know, the, they've had a lot of turnovers since Theo Epstein left, folks. Um, and so there's a lot of talk that maybe people are shying away from wanting to come to Boston. I don't know whether that's true. A lot of people think Sam Fold of the Phillies is still their number one target, and we won't be able to know anything about that until the Phillies are out of the playoffs. So, uh, But anyway, uh, so Kim Ang is going to be looking for a job, and uh, I would think if you are the Red Sox, you're already making a phone call this morning to find out if she'd be interested in coming to interview for the job. Uh, a bizarre move uh, by the uh, the Marlins, especially considering, you know, when she got hired there, she was there with Derek Jeter, and she essentially uh, got control of the team away from Derek Jeter. And th- they just made a statement that Marlins uh, owner Bruce Sherman, uh, the principal owner and, and their chairman, uh, said although the team exercised its option for her to return for 2024 – It said that Kim has declined her mutual option. So the the Marlins have made it sound as if it was her decision not to return. And maybe, maybe people knowing that she was a free agent, maybe there's been some quiet talks behind the scenes with her. Maybe she already has something lined up with the Red Sox or the Mets um, to uh, to have a better opportunity. Because the, the statement that just came out uh, a couple of minutes ago from the Marlins makes it sound like it was her decision, not a mutual decision. Don't know whether that's true or not, but we shall see. So anyway, uh, interesting news uh, to start off our Monday morning. Uh, the ALCS started last night. And the Texas Rangers shut out the Houston Astros. And Jordan Montgomery, six and a third shutout innings. Only gave up five hits, struck out six, walk one, 90 pitches, 60 of them for strikes. And then uh, Spores, Chapman, and LeClerc finish it out. And the Rangers have the shutout. Justin Verlander did not pitch poorly. Had a little trouble finding the strike zone, just 64 strikes and 101 pitches. Um, But he battled. And by the way, it's the first time in these playoffs that both starters have pitched into the seventh inning. That used to be like routine. Now it's the first time in 2023 that's happened in the playoffs. Um, And a lot's been made of the fact, you know, Leota Tavares with a home run that made it 2-0. That was kind of the, uh, the insurance run, I guess, that the Rangers needed in the fifth inning. But the star of this game for me, without question, is that young left fielder for the Texas Rangers. What a story 
that uh, Carter has been. He makes a great catch in the first inning. Ball that looked like it was over his head. Goes back on it and throws the glove up and makes a great catch. Evan Carter is 21 years old, ladies and gentlemen. He did not e- he was not even on the Rangers team for most of the season. He played 23 games in the regular season. Came up and hit five bombs in 62 at-bats. Also walked 12 times. What I mean, the kid came up, hit 306 in 23 games. I know it's very small sample size. With a slugging percentage of 645, on-base percentage of 413. And then the play of the game last night, Alex Bregman hit a ball that off the bat I thought was going out. I mean, as soon as as soon as Bregman hit that ball, I went, oh, crap. This is in the eighth inning. Well, Carter goes all the way back in a left center field where that kind of juts out from where the Crawford boxes are, and he goes back and he's maybe a couple of feet in front of the fence. He makes the catch and then throws the ball all the way back into the infield trying to double off Jose Altuve. Altuve gets back in safely, except... The Rangers then challenge, and on replay, you can see clearly that Altuve had passed second base with one foot. So he was on the other side of second base, which means as you're going back, you have to retouch second base. The replay showed that he did not. And the throw back to the infield doubles him off of first base on the the appeal. (laughs) You know, and it's another one of those things where – you know, uh, you say, I've never seen something like that before. I mean, we've seen guys not, but this is a playoff game. And it's Jose Altuve. This isn't a guy, this isn't some, you know, dumbass, right? Uh, and th- this was this was stranger than the thing that happened with uh, Bryce Harper when he got doubled off. When he had, a, you know, he was well around second base trying to get back and, you know, kind of a, a silly play. It ended up not hurting the, the Phillies, but still, I mean, it hurt him in that game, but it didn't hurt him in the series against the Braves. But just when you think you've seen it all in the playoffs, Jose Altuve makes a mistake like that. And you could see his feet were kind of, as he was trying to put the brakes on and goes back, his feet were kind of like tangled up a little bit. And that's, I'm sure that's what caused him to, uh, to miss it. I mean, he didn't argue. I mean, he, he probably knew. He was probably hoping nobody was uh, going to pick up on it. But give Montgomery a lot of credit last night. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, he struck him out three times. Three times. Jordan Alvarez, you know, a guy that was, you know, Fox was, you know, pumping him up before the game. Three strikeouts against Montgomery. And then he faces a role Chapman in the eighth, and he ends up hitting like this little weak ground ball to the first baseman. So uh, Jordan Alvarez did absolutely nothing last night. You know, the top of the Houston Astros order, the top three guys, top four guys, two for 15. Matter of fact, you can go all the way down to the top five guys, two for two for 19 in that game last night. Three of the five hits that Houston had in this game were at the bottom of the order. 
And then, you know, and conversely, the bottom of the order for for uh, for the Rangers. I mean, uh, the kid, uh, the young third baseman, uh, Young is uh, was one for three, and then Leota Tavares with that big solo home run was hitting ninth. He was two for two, including that bomb. So the Rangers remain undefeated in the playoffs this year. They are six and zero. Oh. And I think the most remarkable thing for the Rangers in this, and you know, the play of of uh, Evan Carter aside, has been their bullpen. Their bullpen was ranked 24th in Major League Baseball in the regular season with an ERA of 4.77. The Texas bullpen ERA in the playoffs, 1.86. They've been phenomenal. So. Uh, Texas draws first blood, and you know, and the last time these guys played uh, was at the end of September, and Houston flat out embarrassed the Rangers in that series. They hit uh, uh, sixteen home runs and outscored the Rangers thirty-nine to ten in a three-game sweep in September. 16 home runs in a three-game series. Holy crap. So pitching uh, pitching wins out in game one as Jordan Montgomery uh, does the job. And the Rangers have activated Max Scherzer. He is in line perhaps to pitch game three. They've also activated John Gray. Don't know whether it would be in a starting role or a bullpen role. The indication from Bruce Bochy early on was that uh, they would probably bring Gray out of the bullpen. But, you know, and it could be a game four kind of thing where even if he starts, it could be a bullpen kind of game where he goes, you know, two, three innings, and then they, they go to the bullpen after that. We'll see. But, look, uh, Montgomery gets this one. They've got Nate Evaldi ready to go. Um, and Evaldi's been great in these playoffs. So, game two coming up this afternoon at 437. And uh, an all-Texas ALCS. And, boy, that was a great game last night. Great game. Two hours and 49 minutes. 43,000 people in Houston. And uh, you couldn't ask for any more than that. And then uh, tonight, the NLCS starts. Zach Wheeler is going to get the start in game one for the Phillies tonight against Arizona. He'll be going up against Zach Gallen. Uh, Gallen, by the way, grew up in South Jersey. So, I mean, this is a guy, and he's a big, uh, he's a big Philadelphia Eagles fan. So, I mean, this is a guy that, that, uh, uh, Grew up with a mom that was a huge Phillies fan. Um, his mother was a huge fan, and they used to take them to games at Citizens Bank Ballpark all the time. So that would be kind of cool. Christian Walker, the first baseman for the Diamondbacks, he grew up in Norristown, Pennsylvania, not too far uh, from Philly. So they will be going up against uh, teams that they rooted for uh, when they were kids. And then um, the Phillies had Taiwan Walker. And Christopher Sanchez uh, throwing a simulated game on Sunday. One of those will probably get 
a Game 4 start. Of course, we know it'll be uh, Wheeler tonight. It'll be probably Aaron Nola for Game 2, Ranger Suarez for Game 3, and then Game 4 will probably be Taiwan Walker, I would think. Um, we shall. Uh, basically, Rob Thompson said it's just going to depend on how much they've had to use their bullpen over the first three games. So, uh, but uh, that will begin uh, tonight. Uh, speaking of, we we mentioned Kim Eng uh, maybe coming to Boston or going to New York or whatever to be a GM. Well, how about how about the San Francisco Giants? Just didn't this is a first? She became uh, Alyssa Nacken, who was the first woman to coach on the field in a major league game. She uh, worked first base for uh, the San Francisco Giants um, in 2022. Um, just interviewed for the opening for the open managerial job in San Francisco. Now I, I don't know how serious this is. Good on San Francisco for at least giving her an interview. Uh, she's someone who played softball at Sacramento State. She's been on the Giants coaching staff since uh, January 2020. The guy that just got fired, Gabe Kapler, was the guy that hired her. Um, and uh, so she just interviewed for the job to replace him. Interesting. Um, so I'm glad that she at least got the interview. <laughs> Look, you know what a traditionalist I am, but I'm also a uh, father of two daughters. And, you know, I, I believe that, uh, and I've always said to my girls that, you know, you can do anything you want to do. And we're going to get to a point. I don't know that we'll ever see a woman playing Major League Baseball against the men. There's a huge... Uh, strength and speed disparity. So I don't know whether that's ever going to happen. It could. I think. I, I think if, if it does, more power to them. It's kind of like you know, will we ever see a woman in the NFL? I doubt it. But there's no reason why women can't be involved in professional sports uh, on a managerial or a front office level, as Kim Ang has done, as Alyssa Nacken has done with the Giants. Uh, we're seeing it now uh, in the NFL. Uh, we're obviously seeing it in the NBA. I think we're uh, we are probably a couple of years away, maybe, from seeing Becky Hammond be the first female coach in the NBA. I think that's going to happen, and there's no reason why it can't. You know, uh, a a woman can can uh, dissect baseball the same way a man can. Same thing with basketball. Women play basketball as well. They know the game just as well as men do. And I'll tell you what, there was a uh, uh, a friend of mine that I had back when I lived up in uh, in Connecticut, and she was an absolute hockey fanatic. She knew more about hockey. She probably forgot more about hockey than I ever knew. And listening to her talk about hockey, I'm thinking, this, this woman belongs on a bench. I mean, the way she could break things down. And I was working as a hockey analyst on television at the time uh, for the Springfield Falcons, the local AHL team. I used to go to her sometimes and ask her, you know, what she saw. She made me sound a lot smarter on TV. So there's no reason why, why you know, Alyssa Nacken can't do that. Now, whether even if she doesn't become the manager, there's no reason why we can't have a, a female uh as a first base coach, as a third base coach, we look, we see uh, uh, female referees now in the NBA. We see female referees in the NFL. 
It's time to uh, to it's 2023. Let's get with the program. It's just a matter of time before uh, one of these young ladies uh, ends up with a job. So uh, uh, good on uh, the San Francisco Giants for at least giving Alyssa Nacken the uh, the interview. Um, NFL yesterday. There are no more undefeated teams. We started the day with two. We left the day with none. And honestly, they were both stunners. It wasn't like before the Browns 49ers game started that anybody thought that the Cleveland Browns had a chance. The line, I think, on Thursday was San Francisco by six and a half. And then the word came out that Deshaun Watson was not going to play because of the shoulder injury for the Browns. So they were going to be starting P.J. Walker, who was coming off of the practice squad. So, I mean, it, the 49ers going into this game were a prohibitive favorite. And you can make the case that it was bad luck for why San Francisco lost this game, but you also have to give the San Fran- the uh, Cleveland Browns defense, which is one of the best defenses in the NFL, a lot of credit for what we saw yesterday. They, uh, they held the San Francisco 49er offense to 215 total yards. And by the way, Brock Purdy, first time he's lost a game in his career. <laughs> and it's funny, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, you think about it, the kid's 23 years old. But because of the success that the 49ers have had with him, you forget how young this kid is. But the other thing that you have to look at is that Brock Purdy played the entire second half of this game without arguably his two biggest weapons on offense. Christian McCaffrey and Debo Debo Samuel were both out in the second half with injuries. So it's almost like Brock Purdy was playing with one hand tied behind his back, and they still almost won the damn game. It was a a missed 41-yard field goal. Jake Jake Moody missed a 41-yard field goal for the 49ers with six seconds left after Brock Purdy without McCaffrey and Samuel drove them all the way down the field, and they could have won the game, should have won the game. A 41-yard field goal for an NFL kicker is a chip shot. And I think they put the, the uh, graphic up just before he made the kick that he was 5-for-5 five five from that range this season. And he pushed it right. It wasn't a bad snap. Nothing like that. Just missed it. And the Browns escape with the victory. But, you know, again, great for the Browns, you know, to win a game without Deshaun Watson that way. You know, give them a lot of – you tip your cap because you still – you know, that's still a very good 49ers defense. And, you know, it puts the Browns at 3-2. and two. You know, and San Francisco, as far as I'm concerned, is still the best team in the NFL, despite what we saw yesterday. But 
Again, no McCaffrey, no Debo Samuel, a missed 41-yard field goal. So let's not go crazy. Again, tip your cap, but that's a game the 49ers still should have won despite everything going against them. And, by the way, they had the referees working against them too. The referees made a couple of calls uh, late in that game that were awful. There was uh, especially uh, the uh, the drive, that last drive that the Browns made, uh, and they ended up getting a field goal by Dustin Hopkins with, what, a minute and a half left? There were two calls on that drive. One of them was an, uh, an unnecessary roughness call that was just awful. And then there was another, uh, I think, defensive holding or defensive pass interference call that was suspect as well. So they got a little help from the referees as well. But, uh, again, a game they still should have won. Uh, I think more concerning if you're a 49er fan is the going to be the health now going forward of McCaffrey and Debo Samuel. You, you can't afford to be without those guys. 49ers are at Minnesota next week. Uh, again, uh, a game that they should still win, but hopefully they, they need to get one of those guys back, uh, if not both of them. So hopefully it's not too serious. The Browns will play uh, at Indianapolis um, next week, but uh, a a a surprising win, no question about it. With no with no Deshaun Watson to win that game for Cleveland, you know, despite everything else, tip your cap because that's a hell of a win. It is thirty one minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is thirty three minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning. The other shocker from yesterday. And and it's not just yesterday. The way that the New York Jets have been playing without Aaron Rodgers, um, <laughs> I mean, uh, Jet fans have to be damn uh, damn near giddy. Um, but they knock off the Philadelphia Eagles yesterday, twenty to fourteen. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, Brees Hall with an eight-yard touchdown with uh, one forty-six left in the game. The Eagles. Did not score a point in the second half. They had a a touchdown pass from Jalen Hurts, DeAndre Swift, with five and a half minutes to go in the second quarter, and they never scored again. Jalen Hurts, three interceptions yesterday. Uh, Look, Zach Wilson, was he great? No, he was not. But what Zach Wilson did was he controlled the game and uh, did not turn the ball over. That's the most important thing for Zach Wilson. 19 of 30, 386 yards. He got sacked five times. His passer rating was not very good. But he made the plays when he needed to, and the Philadelphia Eagles handed this game to the Jets. I mean, make no mistake, the Jets got four field goals from Greg Zerline. You know, it wasn't like they were <laughs> they were running up and down the field on the Eagles. And the winning touchdown came after Tony Adams picked off Hertz and uh, ran the ball down the right sideline. So Hertz was really, Hertz was the one that gave this game away. You know, and. They were down 14-3 to with five and a half minutes to go, come back to win this game, and, and good for them. They are now – the Jets are 3-3. Three and three. And 
when Aaron Rodgers went down in week one with that injury, there's no way on God's green earth anybody thought the New York Jets were going to be 3-3. Three and three. I mean, you just you just didn't. And look, they could be 4-3 and three when they play their next game. Now, they have a week off, but then they get to play the New York Giants. The Giants are 1-5. and five. I mean, there is a legitimate chance that after seven weeks, the Jets without Aaron Rodgers could be above 500. That's insane. Absolutely insane. Uh, by the way, Aaron Rodgers was walking around without crutches after, after uh, surgery on his Achilles tendon, was walking around without crutches and throwing a football. He has said he, he's planning on making it back before this season's over. I believe it when I see it because that would be a remarkable recovery. But uh, yeah. <laughs> what what Robert Salah after the game and in uh, he was interviewed and they were talking about you know the, how well they're doing and and the fact that Rogers was there walking around without crutches and <laughs> Robert Salah called him a freakazoid. I might just say freak. He's a very strange dude. So, but but having said that. Him making his way back before the season's is, season is over, uh, I guess, uh, shouldn't surprise me. So uh, we'll see. But a big win for the Jets, a surprising win uh, without doubt. You know, again, it's another one of those. They were they were a touchdown underdog to Philly. and But you don't expect Jalen Hurts to throw three interceptions. And then there's the Patriots. <laughs> Uh, you know, I said, and uh, I've continued to say that I believe that the Patriots will win six games this year. At the rate they're going, I might have to downgrade that because they lost to a, Raider, a Raiders team yesterday that is not very good. And a Raiders team that lost their starting quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo at halftime to a back injury, and they still couldn't beat the Raiders. You know, I mean, I guess, the, I mean, the Patriots probably, not, you know, their best chance for a win this season may be coming next week. They get to play at Chicago. It's on the road. But you look at this schedule going forward and outside of Chicago, Minnesota, and the Denver Broncos, I don't see wins on this schedule. I mean, I guess you could throw the Giants in there. But, I mean, they still have to play Kansas City? Oh, no, wait a minute. I'm looking at, <laughs> Jesus, I'm looking at the wrong schedule. Let's try that again. That was the Raiders' schedule. Uh, the Patriots still have to play Miami. They still have to play Buffalo twice. And like I said, you know, they have to play Denver, but it's at Denver. Right? I mean... You know, uh, they've got to play the Chargers. They still have to play Miami again. They're not winning. They may not win six games. They may not. You know, they've got Buffalo coming up this week. And Buffalo is coming off a, a, a win last night over the Giants. We'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. That They were underwhelming. They're going to be pissed off. And they're going to be, you know, they're going to be on the road, and they're going to be looking to send a message to the rest of the AL East next week. But the Patriots just, I mean, look, 
Uh, penalties galore yesterday. And, and you look at Mac Jones's numbers and, you know, 24 of 33, 200 yards, but another absolutely horrendous interception just continues to make too many mistakes. You know, and, and not being able to uh, to beat Vegas without Jimmy Garoppolo in the second half, yeesh. Um, the Patriots did run the ball okay. I mean, Ramondre Stevenson averaged, but they only they didn't run it enough. You know, and, and this is, I, I'm a, you know, they only ran the ball 17 times. Ramondre Stevenson, 10 carries for 46 yards, averaged 4.6 a carry, scored a touchdown. Zeke Elliott, 7 carries, 34 yards. They scored a touchdown. Why aren't we running the ball more? And I get that you were down 13 to 3 at the half. But there was plenty, you didn't, you know, that, there was. There isn't time to push the panic button. We don't need Mac Jones the ball 33 times. They threw the ball twice as often as they ran it. You know, the only bright spot yesterday, I guess, with Kendrick Bourne was, you know, caught 10 passes for 89 yards. It was nice to see a receiver finally step up a little bit. And Ramondre Stevenson caught five out of the backfield. But you've got to run the ball more, especially with who your quarterback is. You put the ball in his hands and ask him to win a game, it's not going to happen. So, you know, just, uh, ugh. By the way, the first time in the Belichick area, era in New England that they have been 1-5. And, and it'll be 1-6 after this coming week. Uh, the Giants last night nearly knocked off the Buffalo Pills. And... Some of this has to be on uh, the head coach of the Giants, Brian Dable. The Giants had the ball on the one-yard line for the final play of the first half. They could have kicked a field goal. If they had kicked the field goal, they would have been up 9 nothing at halftime. They were already up 6 and Gano had uh, field goals of 29 and 43 yards in the first half. They try to run the ball in from the one-yard line on the final play of the first half. It gets stuffed. They get nothing out of it. Dable's like yelling at at, uh, Tyrod Taylor on on, on the way into the locker room as if it was his fault somehow. But how about you make the decision to take the points and you make it 9-0? Because if they do that at the end of the game, the Giants got all the way down to the one-yard line again for the final play of the game and damn near won it. Pass ended up going incomplete, and the game was over, and they lose 14-9. However, if you kick that field goal at the end of the first half, it's 9 nothing. Then at the end of the game, instead of having to get it in from uh, the, you know, the one-yard line, you kick a field goal and you win the game. 15 to 14, instead of needing a touchdown, you only need a field goal. Give the Giants a lot of credit. The defense played well. Josh Allen was was not sharp last night, threw for just 169 yards, a couple of touchdowns and a pick. Saquon Barkley, back from that ankle injury, ran for 93 yards. 
Tyrod Taylor, who hadn't had a start in a couple of years since he was with Houston, uh, filling in for Daniel Jones. Uh, look, I don't think you could have asked for much more from the kid. He threw for 200 yards, didn't throw any picks. Um, but the Giants could have won that game last night. Probably should have. And Brian Dable made a, a, a mistake. Much like, by the way, did you see the college game? What a great game. The Oregon-Washington college football game on Saturday afternoon. I mean, it was a great game. But, you know, Washington wins the game because the Oregon head coach is a moron. You know, he, he's like, well, you know, we're a good team and, you know, we're going to gamble. And they gambled a couple of times in that game and it bit him in the fanny. And one of them was, uh, you know, with, you know, a minute to go, they go for it on fourth down, like around midfield, give the ball back to – or a minute and a half, I guess it was. Give the ball back to Washington. Two plays later, Washington scores. You gotta be kidding me. Punt the football. If they're gonna score, make them go the length of the field. They had no timeouts. Punt the football. Get it inside the twenty. Make them go to the length of the field. But instead, you cut the field in half, and uh, Washington wins it. Well, same thing here with uh, with Dable. Kick the field goal at the end of the first half. It's not Tyrod Taylor's fault. So uh, the Giants. Fall to one and five, and the the, uh, the Buffalo Bills survive. They are now four and two, trailing just the Miami Dolphins, who continued uh, to just pile on the points. Uh, they beat Carolina forty two twenty one. Carolina is zero and six. I mean, that looks not a huge surprise. Uh, two or three more touchdown passes yesterday. Raheem Mostert ran for one hundred and fifteen yards, a couple of touchdowns. Uh, Tyreek Hill one hundred and sixty three yards receiving on six catches. Talk about a difference maker. Holy smokes. Jalen Waddle caught seven passes. Miami just, they have the most potent offense right now. You know, we're we're on a collision course for a San Francisco-Miami Super Bowl. I don't know whether that'll be the case, but it'd be fun to watch. Um, the uh, other game that was, uh, it was good to see Joe Burrow kind of looking more like Joe Burrow. They beat the Seattle Seahawks. 17 to 13. Uh, our boy uh, Dan Zampano had actually, Cincinnati was favored going into this game uh, by three. And uh, Dan thought that Seattle was going to pull the upset here, but the Bengals uh, win at 17 13. Uh, field goals, by the way, order of the day yesterday everywhere. And uh, this one was one. Evan McPherson, a 52 yard field goal, uh, kind of salted it away. They had like a one point lead, uh, but then a 52 yard field goal early in the fourth gave them a four point edge. And uh, Joe Burrow throws for. 185 yards. Passer rating much better. They didn't run the ball very well, but the defense played well. Uh, they picked off Geno Smith a couple of times. Uh, once very late in the game was the difference here. And uh, Cincinnati writes uh, the ship a little bit. They look like they were uh, in big, big trouble. And now all of a sudden the Bengals have themselves back to 500. And in that AFC North where Baltimore leads the pack at 4-2, and two, I mean, it's anybody's game. Uh, the Bengals have a bye week this week, uh, but then they're going to have a big test. They have to play at San Francisco October 29th. That's the good news. I mean, I guess is, is you know, if for Cincinnati, I mean, <laughs> you hate to say this, but they're probably hoping Christian McCaffrey or Debo Samuel's out for a couple of weeks, and maybe they'll catch a bit of a break when they have to go to play at the 49ers. It's 47 minutes past the hour. We're going to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 49 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call. Uh, uh, Tyler Kepner of The Athletic uh, just uh, posted on Twitter. He had, uh, 
he just spoke with uh, Kim Ang from the, the Marlins. And uh, what she has uh, disclosed to him was that she met with ownership last week and uh, they discussed that uh, the plan that they had to reshape the baseball operations department. And she said it became apparent that we were not completely aligned on what that should look like. And she said, I felt it best uh, to step away. This is kind of along the lines of what happened with Derek Jeter when he was there in the ownership group and uh, running baseball operations with the ownership. They didn't see eye to eye, and that's one of the reasons why Derek Jeter left as well. So it sounds like it may be more of an ownership issue uh, than anything. And, uh, you know, somebody uh, perhaps running the ship that thinks they know more than, you know, people that have been uh, uh, in baseball for a while. So. Uh, that's where we're at anyway, so we'll see if uh, if she gets an interview in Boston. Uh, the International Olympic Committee surprised, surprised the hell out of me. They actually approved flag football for the Los Angeles Olympics in 2028. Flag football. I, I don't get it. It'd be the first time uh, it's ever been in the Olympics. I don't get it. Uh, they actually had uh, tackle football in the Olympics, by the way. Uh, as an exhibition back in the 30s, I think it was 1932 or something. But, uh, yeah, I don't – who the hell else is playing flag football in the United States? I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But they also have approved cricket, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, India will be the odds-on favorite to win that. But uh, that is – cricket's a sport, I you know, look, it, it it's loosely kind of related to baseball. But I've watched it, and I don't completely understand it, so it'll be an opportunity for, I think, a lot of people, especially in this part of the world that uh, aren't familiar with the game, to get to know it a little bit, which is kind of cool. Again, you know, it's something like uh, so many people in the world play it. It's kind of like, you know, soccer. You know, it took a long time for that to catch on in the United States, and I'm not saying that cricket being in the Olympics is going to make it a big sport in the United States, but it'd be kind of cool just to be able to, to watch a sport that uh, I don't know a lot about. I think it's also cool lacrosse is going to be in the Olympics. Um, it's been in the Olympics twice, but not since 1908, so it's been a while. Now, they're going to play it six on six, so it won't be a full, like we're used to seeing, like college uh, lacrosse. It's probably be more like the indoor game, so it'll be a, a six-on-six thing. So that's kind of cool. Uh, squash is also going to make its debut uh, in the Olympics, and, of course, baseball and softball coming back as well. Um, I don't think we're going to, you know, the, the one thing about uh, baseball is that, I, and, and, and I don't think this is going to happen, but you're not going to see Major League Baseball players in the Olympics for the United States unless they've, like, recently retired. Because Major League Baseball is not going to shut down. <laughs> the season is long enough. Um, I don't think they're going to shut down uh, to allow Major League Baseball players to play. It's bad enough. Uh, a lot of uh, teams think that uh, they allow their guys to play in the uh, uh, the World Baseball Classic every few years. I mean, look what happened with all the injuries this year. So, um, But anyway, it's, it's good to see them uh, back in the Olympics. Uh, how about this? The Iowa women's basketball team played an exhibition yesterday. Uh, a lot of teams are having their, uh, it used to be called uh, Midnight Madness kind of thing where you unveil the basketball teams for the year. It's, you know, it's being called different stuff now. But uh, uh, Iowa played an exhibition against DePaul um, this weekend. And they did it outside in the football stadium. And it drew... 55,000 people. That's the previous the previous record for a women's basketball uh, attendance for a game was uh, 29,000 
between Connecticut and Oklahoma in the 2002 NCAA championships uh, that was held in the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. 55-plus thousand people in Iowa City, Iowa, to watch Caitlin Clark and Iowa beat DePaul uh, 94-72. Caitlin Clark was great. Uh, 34 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists, reigning player of the year. Uh, you know, Iowa is basketball crazy. But, man, what a great thing. And, by the way, it was um, right next door to a, uh, a children's hospital. All the proceeds from the game were directed uh, to the hospital. Um, I think uh, they, uh, a check for like $250,000 was presented to the hospital. Uh, very cool. But 55,000 people to watch a, an, an exhibition game, no less. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, last thing we got this morning, some sad news. Suzanne Summers passed away um, yesterday. A day before her 77th birthday, she passed away from breast cancer. Uh, she had been battling breast cancer off and on since 2000, uh, and I think she announced last year that it had come back. And uh, she passed away yesterday uh, peacefully, surrounded by her family. Uh, of course, best known uh, for her work on television, um, on Three's Company with uh, John Ritter and Joyce DeWitt. Um, but she first came to the America's attention in one of my favorite movies, American Graffiti. She was a uh, she was the girl in uh, the Thunderbird, and the only line she had in the movie, she mouthed the words "I love you" to Richard Dreyfus when they were sitting at a traffic light. That was the only that was that was, that was her line. I, she said she went for the interview, and the only thing George Lucas asked her, the director, was, uh, "Can you drive?" <laughs> So, but pretty cool, and uh, went on to uh, uh, to star in a couple other television shows, and uh, uh, became a great businesswoman. Wrote twenty books. Remember, she was the remember the spokesperson for the the thigh master. <laughs> but uh, she played a ditzy blonde on Three's Company. A lot of laughs. A beautiful woman, and married to her husband for uh, forty plus years. And uh, she passed away uh, from breast cancer at the age of seventy six yesterday. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. John Mayer's 46th birthday. In honor of that, here's uh, his song called Who Says. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country 94.1.